Um, good morning, everybody. Um, if we haven't met before, I'm Nigel, and um, as you know, today we've been dedicating two little people, and we've heard their parents just make promises, and we've prayed for them. And some of us are visiting today, especially to support one of these families. So if that's you, thank you so much for coming. You're extremely welcome. And you are obviously very important in these families' lives, and you're going to play a key role in their children's lives as they grow up. And others of us are here because we're part of Winchester Vineyard Church family, and we also have a part to play in supporting these two families, as we've just prayed. And in fact, not just these two families, but actually all of the children and young people that are growing up as part of our church community. You've heard the old um, proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. And by being here today and by praying for these children, effectively what we're doing is we are saying we're part of that village, be it a physical village or a virtual village, whatever that looks like, we're part of it. Um, the village that's around one or both of these families, we're involved and we're invested and we're looking forward to watching and for, to praying for these little ones and for their families as they grow. And I just want to share a few thoughts about families, about children, about what the Bible has to say, and about why we dedicate children as part of this church. And there are two verse, two little passages in the Gospel of Matthew, which I've got on the screen, but if you want to check in your Bible, you can look it up on the phone or open your Bible. And, and the first one is from Matthew chapter 18, and it's verses 1 to 5. And it's a relatively well-known part of the Bible, but it's one of the few passages in the Gospels where, we, where it talks about young, young people, children. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who then, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I should say, the disciples were quite a motley bunch, and they had decided that what they would do is have their own little discussion slash argument about who was going to be the greatest. I'm going to be greater. They hadn't quite understood what Jesus was saying, and they came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and said, Truly I tell you this, unless you change and become like little children, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, as I said, children didn't really feature in the Gospels very much, and they didn't really feature in public in their society. There were other societies around who who were just awful to children, just awful. And that wasn't the case in uh, the Jewish society where, where um, Jesus grew up. But they weren't kind of very publicly, um, they, they just didn't feature much in public. And so here, Jesus is making an incredible, powerful statement. We might think, oh yeah, Jesus and children, oh that's cute and that's nice. Actually what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm going to take this child, I'm going to physically put them at the front and center of the crowd as a physical demonstration. So we don't normally think about these little ones. We don't normally talk about them. This is probably not the answer you were expecting from me, but they are the most important and the most precious and the most valuable to God. It's so typical of Jesus to make a statement standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves in a certain society. Throughout his whole ministry, Jesus made a point of valuing those who were generally cast aside by everybody else. For example, in that culture, women were marginalized. Jesus brought them to the front. 
In that culture, lepers were cast out. Jesus spent time with them. Tax collectors, shepherds, prostitutes, the poor, the marginalized, all people who were kind of like slightly pushed out of that slightly macho and religious society, a male religious society. And every time Jesus did something to say, no, 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 these people who you value the least, God values the most. And it was the same with children. And so the context, as I said, of this conversation is this kind of slightly sort of odd, immature argument that the disciples are having about who's the greatest. And Jesus doesn't answer their argument. He doesn't even answer their question. You know, they're expecting him to say, oh, well, it's you. Oh, well, it's you. And he, doesn't play, he just doesn't play that game. Instead, he says, he does something very unexpected, very profound, very simple, and just puts this little child at the front of the group and says, this is the one you need to be looking at. It's sort of like Jesus is saying, never mind your insecurities and your silly comparisons. Just look at this child. Here is your example to follow. Little children are by nature weak and vulnerable and dependent and innocent and trusting and uncertain. And these are qualities, Jesus says, which all of us need to have if we want to relate to God. There's an example to follow here. Just over the page. Oh, that's a nice picture I found. Just over the page in um, the next chapter, chapter 19, there's another very short passage. It says, then people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, no, no, no. And this is the sort of famous verse, I suppose. Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then he placed his hands on them and then he went away. So the disciples are trying to shoo the children away. Go on, go on, don't bother him. I mean, I remember being taught this story as a kid. Oh, the master's busy. Don't, let, don't, don't bother him. Just let him alone. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Bring them, bring them forward and let them come. And I've always taken this to mean something like this. Don't get in the way of helping children relate to Jesus. In fact, do everything you can to help them connect with Jesus. See, children are so precious to God. They're so well worth investing in. They have this incredible simplicity in their outlook and their faith is very precious, quite uncluttered in a way that most grown-ups have just forgotten about. Many of those who lead children's ministry or get involved in children's ministry report that it often feels like we are learning as much from the children as we are trying to teach them if not more. If you ask a group of believers what age they came to faith, you'll generally find that two-thirds of them at least chose to follow Jesus somewhere before the age of 18. And in this church, we try and make sure that it's a warm and a welcoming and a safe and an appealing place for children and young people to come. More than that, though, we don't just want it to be a safe and fun community. We do want that, but we want more than that. We want it to be a place where children and young people can connect with God, where we can worship together, where they can learn together, where they can make friends, and when they can encounter Jesus for themselves. When our kids were little, one of our kids' reception teachers, I remember her making this comment to us. She said, oh, they're like little sponges. She said, they're like little sponges. They just soak up everything around them. And it's really important that we think about what is that environment that's around them that they are soaking up from as they grow. 
So we see investing in children and young people as a long-term kingdom investment. And we may never get to see the end results firsthand. But truthfully, we're always having an impact and we'll never know how much. I remember um, years ago, Joe and I have been involved in children's ministry for a long time before we even came here. And years ago, I used to lead worship with little kids. And the parent told me a story. She said, oh, my kids left home, left, not left home, left church, jumped in the back of the car. And all the way home, they were singing that new song you taught them. And it was really loud and really in your face. And it was that song, Holy Spirit. Pour your power, pour your power on me. And they were singing it at the top of their voice. And when they got home, it didn't stop. They went into the garden and they started to sing it again and again at the top of their voice. And they're doing all the actions and they're super enthusiastic, absolutely full of it. I said, that's amazing because do you know what? When I sang that song and taught it to them, this is what your kids did. They absolutely refused to engage, right? Not singing, not joining in, not nothing. You know, and I just thought, well, isn't that brilliant? It's going in, even if you don't think it's going in. You know, you do have to have a bit of a tough skin to be a kids' worship leader sometimes. Those songs were deliberately chosen to be memorable and catchy and full of words of truth and life about God, words which would affirm and encourage them. We had this other, we had this other song we used to do, and, um, and we had this thing. Joe and I sat down one day, we were just chatting. I said, look, if there was one thing that you would want these kids that we work with to know. Just one thing. What would, it, what would you want it to be? And Joe said, I want them to know that God thinks they're special and he loves them. And then we heard this song, um, God made me special and he loves me very much. To be honest, musically, it wasn't that great a song. It was all right, but it wasn't spectacular. But we did it anyway, because we, and we did our best to make actions for it and make it fun, because we just thought these words were so important for our young people to learn and take into themselves. God made me special and he loves me very much. I'll sing it to you later if you want. Um, Investing in young people is an incredible privilege. It can be costly, but there's a massive payoff. We were doing this, as I said, for many years. I've got a couple of photos here. I just dug them out this morning. There's Jo in her much younger days um, with some of those. Now, these kids in there are in their mid-20s now, most of them. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, we don't know what all of them are doing, but we certainly know where some of them are at in their lives. Um, there's another one here. I do know this guy here in the brown, he's a primary school teacher now. Um, this girl in the dressed up, she's a doctor now. I mean, and there's a whole bunch of them doing a bunch of stuff. It's an absolute privilege to invest in the lives of young people. Okay, And we do have an amazing kids team here in this church. And we're so grateful for all of you who volunteer. Thank you. You may not be aware of this, but you are involved in the most important ministry in the church. God has massive rewards for you in heaven. And we've got loads of money. for No, we haven't. I don't mean that. Um, to give you. Actually, we've got some opportunities for more people to join those teams. And I'll come to that a bit later. But first, just why do we dedicate children then? What, what we've just done is really important to us. And we're doing three things when we dedicate young people to God. We're celebrating this gift of new life. You know, the Bible says that children are a gift from God. The Bible says that grandchildren are a crown to the aged. How many of you have got grandchildren? Yeah, there you go. I can see, polish your crowns, everybody. 
okay? It's a crown to the aged. And so we're publicly giving thanks for this gift of new life, celebrating God's part in that. We're also welcoming the child into our church community. We're the people of God in Winchester Vineyard. We, we feel called together to follow Jesus and to live out our faith And young people, as I've said, are very much part of that. And so we welcome them. And then thirdly, we're supporting the parents, as we've just done, as they commit to pray for their child and bring them up. And it's already been said, but I just want to underline this fact. We are not saying with this um, ceremony that this child is now a Christian or they are saved or they are a believer. That is their decision to make at the point of their life when they're ready to make it. But we are acknowledging that we have a responsibility and we're also promising to pray for them and to bring them up in the knowledge of Jesus until that time that they're old enough to follow him from themselves. And that's principally a job for parents, which is why they're the ones up the front making the promises. But there is also a significant part which the rest of us, the wider church family, play. The Bible's very clear about raising children. There's a couple of proverbs here. One of them, you might know these, um, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, there's something about how we teach people when they're young in ways that, as they get older, stay with them. Another one in Proverbs says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. And then this beautiful picture, they are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Now, parenting is an incredibly challenging role and one for which most people have never had any formal training. We're mostly mostly learning on the job, aren't we, in this one? And so the parents here have just committed to pray for their child and give themselves to training them up and laying a godly foundation in their lives. Here's one more verse in the Bible that I really love, from right back at the beginning of Deuteronomy. This is just after the bit where God gives his people these commandments, these rules for life, and he says, these commandments that I give you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down or when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And in traditional Jewish communities, that's what they do still. That's what you see there. They make these little boxes and inside the box is a tiny scroll and on that is written the Ten Commandments and it's literally bound to the head. I'm not sure what our version of that would be now. I think if God was writing that bit today, he might say, save them on your phones and post them on your social media networks. But whatever way it takes to help our young people to understand the truth of God, that's what we need to do. But it's it's, it's not just learning verses by row. It's not just learning information. It's actually learning to apply that wisdom and those values in our everyday lives. And in order to do that, our kids also need to encounter and experience God's love and power for themselves and to receive the Holy Spirit for themselves. They need to meet with God. When we brought kids, uh, when, when we led kids ministry, which we did for 12, 13 years, something like that, we were very, very clear that we are not just here to teach them information about the Bible, although that's important. We are here to help them and facilitate them experiencing God's presence for themselves, connecting with God for themselves. I think that's really, really important. And so as parents, we're asking for the tools that we need to raise our children up to adults who have this wisdom and these values and this emotional maturity and godly character. What does that look like? Well, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, self, gentleness, self-control. That's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for the little humans that we're raising to grow in all of those things. This is not a parenting seminar, <laughs> but I do want to make some comments about parenting. But first, there's one verse in the Bible relating to Jesus when he was a teenager. Okay, we read quite a bit about him as a baby and then lots and lots about him as a grown-up. But there's this one verse just around this passage uh, where Jesus was lost in the temple and it says this, and it's very succinct. And it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And he's probably about 12 at that point and the next thing we know, he's 30. So there's a big gap in our history of Jesus' life. But what we do know is very succinctly put this, I think, wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And when, whenever we've prayed for our children and we didn't know what to pray, this is what we would pray. We would pray that they would obviously grow physically because that's what they're going to do, that's stature. We would pray that they would grow in wisdom and psychological and emotional maturity. And we pray that they would grow in favor and relationships with God and with others, with their peers. So as I said, this is not a parenting seminar, but just three observations I think that children require as they're growing up. And by the way, I'm very aware that we're not all parents here, and that's okay, because I think this is important for all of us. I think raising children, first of all, requires an environment of love and care and security. Now, I'm not an expert on this. Claire's the expert here. But psychologists who study attachment theory have shown that when a primary caregiver is consistent and available and responsive to the needs of a very small child, it allows the child to develop a deep sense of security and peace and an appropriate dependence, which then creates what the psychologists call a secure base for the child to then go and explore the world. And children need this safe, consistent and loving and caring environment right from the start. And when that's not there, for whatever reason, it tends to lead to people growing up with insecure attachments, with an insecure base, which then can, doesn't always, but can impact how we manage our relationships, sometimes for the rest of our lives. So this isn't just a nice idea, oh, children should be loved and cared for. This has been shown by the psychologists to be true. And so as parents, we'd, we need to be secure enough in ourselves to be able to offer that consistent love and care and affection and security to our kids. I remember my dad, at a moment of honest reflection when my first child was um, a baby, just saying, um, I don't... I realized that I wasn't necessarily the greatest parent in some regards. I wasn't there for you when I could have been. I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I made, which was for me a really touching and healing moment with my dad and a sigh of relief. I, I, I kind of already worked that out myself. Um, but I was just, I was, I was grateful for his honesty and his bravery in talking about that. And I think there's something precious there. And sometimes we don't feel like we're equipped to do this. I do believe with God we can be. The second thing that I think um, children need is to learn some wisdom and values and principles. And obviously, there's a massive sort of element of teaching. Um, there's, <laughs> there's some teaching going on, but most of what they learn will be through modeling. And I don't mean catwalk modeling. I mean 
I mean role modeling. You know, we teach our kids everything, don't we, from the, the basic physical things, how to eat and how to wash and how to dress and clean our teeth and tie our shoes, to the much more complex psychological things like how to relate with people and how to deal with conflict and how to determine their values and principles and boundaries and how to navigate the world and in, in today's society, the, social, the world of social media. Um, we mostly teach them by demonstrating how we behave and how we act in certain situations, the things that we celebrate, the things that we criticize, how we deal with conflict, how well we communicate, how we handle our own emotions. Always we are modeling behavior to our kids. Whether we like it or not, that's what we're doing. And that's true for our um, uh, small families, and it's true in a church family as well. Our young people are always learning. They are always learning like they're sponges, soaking it up. The question is, what are they learning? And even more importantly, who are they learning it from? And those are things to contemplate as a parent. I'll never forget, um, oh, sorry, one more thing. Um, we have found, as our kids grew up, that the only way to do this was with real conversations. And real conversations need real relationships. And real relationships take time and energy and consistency and choices. And so with our kids, we, for example, always made our meal time the time to talk properly. It's not always possible for every family, but that's what we did with ours. And also long car journeys and walks are really good places. We made a point of trying to answer every question as honestly and appropriately as we could. We vowed never to lie to them. It did lead to us telling the truth about Father Christmas, age three, and the facts of life, age five. But that's how it went. And we've also, this is important, tried to notice the times when our kids want to talk. Because they often don't want to talk at the times that are convenient for us. And especially as they get into teenage years, they tend to want to talk at the times when generally I want to go to bed, if I'm honest. But we just learn to be flexible and available and to spot those times and go, oh, this is an important conversation. I'm going to stay and commit to this now. I'm going to jump over that bit because I don't have time to share that now. Last thing. No, last thing. Um, the third thing that I think our children require is for us as parents and olders to take some spiritual responsibility for them. And probably the most important thing that we can do for our kids is to pray for them. Is to pray for them and to pray for them. I'm going to say that again. The most important thing we can do for our kids is to pray for them regularly. And if I said, if, as I said, if you don't know what to pray, just pray for wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men or other people. Another thing we can do is champion them and speak encouragement into their lives. And we need to do that constantly, mainly just to counter all the negative stuff that they experience in the world around them. And another thing that we have found is that sharing our own spiritual journey with them is really important. That's the good stuff and the hard stuff. We've told them when we're thanking God for answered prayers. We've told them when we've seen miraculous healings. We've told them when people have chosen to follow Jesus. We've told them when we've seen things happen. And we've also told them about the times when it's tough and we don't know what the answer is and we're trying to pray and we're trying to trust God. And then we've actively looked for other role models outside of our immediate family. And role models 
the best role models tend to be five to ten years ahead. So when our kids were um, at primary age, we looked for teenagers to come and babysit for them or to come and hang out with them. Um, we just made a point of inviting other people into our lives. When they were teenagers, we looked for student-age people to come and just to be around them. And to be honest, a role model for me is somebody who's five, roughly five to ten years ahead of them and passionate about Jesus. If those people are passionate about God, then they're gonna, that's going to rub off on our kids. They grow up in a pretty brutal culture, and they need all the encouragement they can get. And so parents need all of our support and our prayers and our love. And many of you are parents, and you're navigating this journey now. And as I said, we don't get trained for this. It's mostly on the job. Um, in traditional cultures, you get grandparents kicking around who um, are on hand to support. But actually, that's not necessarily the case for many of us. Maybe it is for you. And this is where the church community can really come in. So just to finish, there are two Hebrew words for family in the Old Testament. And one is Bahath, Bahith, and one is Mishpakor. And the Old Testament uses both these words, and the Bahith family means kind of the nuclear family. It's what we would think of as the immediate family under one roof, where, as we've just said, parents are instructed to teach their children the commands of God and celebrate the stories of what he's done. But the most common word for family in the Old Testament isn't that, but it's the other one. It's mishpokor, which is much more associated with the wider sense of clan, of people bonded together with a common cause, what we might call a community. And when instructions are given in Deuteronomy for the passing on of the belief system from one generation to the next, they're written in the context of Mishpachor, of the wider tribe, the wider clan, the wider community. And every member of that community recognized that they had a responsibility, sometimes in a small way, sometimes in a larger way, to communicate the faith of the tribe to the children of the tribe. And yes, over time, particular teachers were appointed because they were very good at it, but they never lost that emphasis on the whole community having some part to play. Now, you've heard me say this before, but the truth is that whether we choose to get involved directly or not, or indirectly or not at all, every member of our church community is communicating their faith to the next generation. We're doing it. They're watching. Remember what I said? Little sponges. Okay? Whether we're aware of it or not, we are passing on something about our attitudes, something about our passions, something about our commitments, the way we worship, the way we communicate, the way we respond to others, the way we um, acknowledge the young people that are in our presence, whether that's in a positive way or it's a less positive way, they will notice. All of us have a part to play in passing on the faith of our faith to the next generation. So what does that look like practically? Well, a lot of it comes down to the choices we make about our time and our energy and money. And as I've already said, we have some brilliant people on our teams here. Last time I spoke about this subject was April 2021. And it wasn't here, it was online, because lockdown was just kind of coming to an end. And if you were here at the time, you'll remember that we were looking to see how, as we gathered back in the building together, we could put our young people first. Because we realized that actually it was going to be them that really needed to get back into the swing of church and things. And so when lockdown finished, we restarted our kids and youth teams. 
And shock horror, we held back on the coffee team. In fact, those of you who might remember painfully, you might remember driving to the coffee shop on the way to church, because we didn't have coffee team for at least six months when we came back from lockdown. And that was a really specific thing. And in April 2021, this is what I said ahead of that time. I've got, him, I've got my notes here. It said, imagine if we, as a community, as a mishpachor, decided together that we were collectively going to put our young people first when it came to coming back to church. Imagine what a message that would give them. Imagine what value it would place on them, on their relationships, on their faith, on their future. And I am so proud to say that that's what we, that's what you guys did. We prioritized as a church community for our young people. People stepped in to work with our toddlers who'd never been near toddlers for decades. And yet, they did it. You guys did it. And it really paid off. Look at how they're growing. They're a wonderful bunch of people. There's momentum and all sorts. There's a wonderful, wonderful sense of tribe around our teenagers. We baptized four earlier this year. We've seen many of them encounter God, even just this summer at DTI. We've seen them come into Jesus. We've seen them encounter him. And so if, you, if you're not part of this church, then forgive me doing a little bit of hard sell at the end. But I would encourage you to just think about the children or young people who are in your life and ask God how you could best support or serve or love or bless them and their families. Offer to babysit, invite them over, give them stuff, spend time with them. Become an informal auntie or uncle or you know, an informal grandparent or an older brother or sister and, and pray for them and pray for their families. And if you are part of this church community, then do all that. Do all of that. Get involved in the lives of young people. But as well as that, please think carefully about if the Lord is inviting you to get involved in one of our teams here. Right now, as I said, we have opportunities to serve our kids and youth this term. One person has just come to church today and we've turned around to her and said, I'm really sorry, we're short. Could you come up and serve our kids? And she's gone, yeah, I'd love to. I love that. That's brilliant. So good. But we try and have a rotor and we try and have a plan. And honestly, our groups are growing in size and momentum. We just need a few more people to serve. Some of our faithful team members had to step back to illness and family stuff and work pressure. And also, brilliantly, we're planning, hoping... Um, planning to start a new youth group for our older teenagers. They're just, the thing's growing and we need more groups. We need more leaders for more groups. And we've got some great leaders, they're ready to move up, but then we need some people to step in with them. So if you're thinking, oh yeah, I would love to do that, come and talk to us, come and talk to Joe. You don't have to be an extrovert to work with kids or young people. You just have to be available and willing, happy to spend some time with them and to model a bit of your relationship with Jesus. Um, if you feel like joining one of the most important teams in our church, or you want to see where the real kingdom action is, or you just want a bigger reward in heaven, come and talk to Joe today. And we'd love to do, as I said, we don't do arm twisting, we don't do hard sell. But God is, if God is stirring you in this area, please do consider this. Have I said enough? Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, I could keep going. <laughs> Lastly, just to finish, we are really excited that Joy Steed is here today. Now, Joy is our brand new assistant youth and children's pastor. Stand up, take a bow. This is Joy. Some of you have met her during the sort of um, interview process before the summer. Um, the rest of you, we will introduce her to you properly in due course. But in the meantime, come and welcome her. Her role here is to lead and to oversee our children's and youth ministry. And she is excellent. 
She has brilliant experience with all of those different age groups, but she is not here to do it herself or just to fill gaps or to be on all the teams because that would kill her. She's here to, to give vision and leadership to the already brilliant teams that we've got and the new people who are going to join those teams in the near future. So if you just want to join at the, as, as things pick up and as things sort of get going for the new term, this would be a great time to do that. And that would be really encouraging for her too. Um, let's make sure that our teams are in as healthy a place as possible, as possible, which is what we've been working on. I think I've probably finished all I want to say. I had more to say, but I'll shut up. Oh, I've always got more to say. Okay, why don't we stand together? And. Uh...